2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up?
3: Three hours of Joe Harris content, ladies and gentlemen.
2: <laughs> He's had this uh, podcast circled on his calendar for a long time, but Very Jack long. is right. We're talking Joe Harris. Dive into our season preview. As always, you can find the buzz on iTunes, Block OTG otgbasketball.com, Google Play, Dash Radio, YouTube, and netsrepublic.com. But Jack, tell them where they can get a Brooklyn Buzz tea.
3: They can go to dsgntreedesigntree.com slash offtheglass. You can also hit up oggbasketball.com and click on that little tab that says store. You can get some fire, fire merch. It's all fuego, ladies and gentlemen.
2: Yes, but we're going to talk Joe Harris from last year before we talk next year. Obviously, an excellent season. Led the NBA in three-point percentage at 47.4%. Won the three-point competition. Averaged over 13 points a game. 50% 50% from the field which is extremely amazing for a guard especially a guy who's a three point specialist but Jack how would you summarize uh, Joe Harris's last season Joe Harris last season
3: uh, Joe Harris last season was a revelation um, <laughs> we the 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 growth that we've seen from a guy who was cast off and there are so many stories of that within this Brooklyn Nets organization. When you're talking about the likes of Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, miscast in Detroit, becomes you know, six man of the year contender, an absolute stud starter for the Brooklyn Nets, and Joe Harris. These guys epitomize what the culture is and what the growth is of this Brooklyn Nets organization. And you know, he, like you mentioned, Nick, he was the best damn shooter in the league. Um, I am, I'm, I can be objective about Joe Harris. His player performances were poor. He didn't, he didn't step up when it mattered. And I always say when I'm analysing players. Yeah, I always look to to player performances and he wasn't able to really step up there. He wasn't able to hit the shots when it mattered. But when you're looking at the regular season and, you know, not the large majority uh, of everything that he did, um, Joe Harris really made a name for himself. And, you know, now it's not just niche NBA Twitter, niche Nets Twitter and at the J-man JVT who uh, are giving Joe Harris the love that he deserves. (laughs)
2: Jack, now you mentioned the postseason. Do you think the postseason issues were just like Joe Harris not being used to that type of attention and then him just being pretty much uncomfortable that entire series? Because we also saw him miss some wide-open threes, but it felt like at the point where he missed those wide-open threes, he was already kind of thrown out of his game.
3: Yeah, I I think it was a confidence sort of issue, Nick. You know, his stat line in in the five games uh, against Philly, he had 8.8 points, uh, 0.6 assists. He he rebounded really well. Like, he still contributed in other areas, but when you're looking for your three-point specialist, the best shooter in the league, and he's shooting 19% from the three-point line on 4.2 attempts a game, you know, he made 0.8 per game um he his effective field goal percentage was less than 42 percent um it was a poor postseason from joe but hopefully that experience you know that that adversity heading into team usa and hopefully heading in for like you said a deep like we've mentioned plenty of times before with each other hopefully a deeper postseason run next year he knows and there is he, he can step up He's, he has the confidence to do so um and he can just make those shots because you know, as a three-point shooter, as his number one primary skill, he gets paid to do that. And he didn't do that when it mattered. And if he can just hit those shots, if, you know, point eight jumps up to two and he hits it at, at least a 35% clip, it becomes an average postseason, not a poor postseason.
2: And that could be the difference in winning another game in the postseason, which is huge. Correct. But obviously, I know you're going to call it a success, but I still got to ask, was last year a success or a disappointment for Joe Harris?
3: Yeah, it was a success, though the disappointing players' performances left a a mild sour taste in the mouth. It wasn't like you know some sour lollies, but it was like a a little bit of a tinge, like you've got like a lemon tart. It was just like not the best because that's the most recent thing you have in your mind when you have a uh, when you're watching basketball. It's like what do they do? What's the best thing they've done for me last? When Corey and I do our top 50, he bases a lot of his stuff of like what have you done for me lately? And Joe hasn't done a lot lately um, in terms of outside of Team USA, where I think he was really, really good and one of the better performances. I think you know, Greg Popovich really got um, a, a lot out of him. But yeah, the, the players' performances leave a sour taste in the mouth. Um, though the lad, the season at a whole and the three-point contest and leading the league in three-point shooting and some of the strengths that we're going to get to soon. Um, he's a great player and hopefully he hasn't peaked yet. I think that we are still seeing minor growth from him. I've seen in the preseason some of the plays from him. Hopefully he can take a few more contested shots. But these are all topics we will discuss.
2: Yes, sir. And I think you're right. You know, it did leave a little sour taste. And, you know, the playoffs are gonna be more competitive. It's gonna be a higher degree to kind of get to that success you're looking for. But there's still room for him to improve. And I think overall it's a big success. Just imagine when Joe Harris was first signed. Most people thought of him as, you know, a nobody, or he maybe wasn't even gonna make the roster. He's gonna be on the team for one year. Now he's a big piece of what's going on in Brooklyn. And he's a guy that was mentioned by Kyrie on No Media Day as a guy, hey. I would like to play with Joe because he knows how to play. He's a three-point shooter. He's going to provide a spacing. So having a guy like that on the team is huge. And you just give him a lot of credit for working on his craft and literally becoming one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. But let's talk about some of those strengths other than three-point shooting, which we know he's elite.
3: He is elite. Um, cutting and finishing off the glass, I think that I've, we've seen that already, I think, in the preseason. He's already working harder to move really hard off the ball to get, to get his shot. Um, he's great on straight line drives. He doesn't have, obviously, the best athleticism and, and lateral quickness and that sort of thing. But when he gets the ball and he can attack and, and really have a go at the rim, he's really good on those. Um, oh, he's obviously a great, a great catch and shoot, three-point shooter. His points per shot attempt, which I mentioned, I think when we were talking about, I think Spencer Dimwitty, um, he's in the 98th percentile according to Cleaning the Glass. Ooh. So per 100 shots, 129.3 points because he is literally the prototype you want. He can drive and draw contact and can hit the free throws. And then he can also hit the three-pointer. He is a, a, a true shooter. He's an advanced stats nerd wet dream. He's insane <laughs> at that. Um, I think his strength is underrated. I think a, a, a lot of people... Underrated, I think almost see him when it comes to defensive acumen and stuff. He's not amazing, but I think his strength sort of covers some of his weaknesses at times. Uh, he knows how to shoot on the move. And I think that we've seen, especially last season, when he is doing those straight line drives, he is sneaky good at doing some of those dishes down low.
2: Yeah, no, you're pretty, I mean, obviously you're going to nail everything on Joe Harris. Essentially the same thing that you have. I think maybe the only thing that you didn't mention that I would say, he's low-key clutch. Like, he had a lot of clutch shots. Obviously, he didn't have great postseason success, but he hit a lot of big threes last year in the fourth quarter, including, I think, having a game-winning layup too. So Joe Harris steps up when you need it. And I think one thing you just really love as a fan just watching him play is just the effort on both ends of the floor. You mentioned not a great defender, but he's going to try hard. He's going to do the right thing. And offensively, obviously, we know the skills he has, but he wouldn't be the player he is without the effort he has off ball.
3: Yeah, and I think conversely, like you mentioned, in terms of hitting clutch shots, I think he, for the most part during the regular season, he starts the games really well. Like I, I, on a lot of yeah. occasions when we would do game recaps, it'd be like, Joe Harris hits four threes in a row in the first quarter, and it just like really gets the team going. And obviously, he does because those three point shots really just give you that little bit of a boost. So I know throughout the regular season, just from because we covered it so in depth, Joe would always regularly start the game so well and, and help the team get off to a good start.
2: Yeah. And I think that's big. And I think it was probably a little bit by design. I would assume Kenny had a couple yeah. plays. Hey, let's get Joe cooking real quick. Easy three points for us. You know, and then the defense is going to have to pretty much overcommit him at certain points. And it's just going to help the rest of the team. But Jack, what would be some weaknesses for Joe?
3: nothing um <laughs> let's move on to the next topic no um i, I think I, I touched on it a little bit his conventional athleticism he's not long he doesn't have you know wingspan doesn't have all of those things and i guess how conversely that sort of affects his defense you know he can't necessarily guard well on the perimeter because he can't move well laterally he's not going to be able to guard guys well on drives but he can smother guys in, in a sort of way um, he's not the best at creating his, his own offense. He's not a Carol silver He's not a Kyrie Irving. He's not a Spencer Dinwiddie. He needs guys to initiate the offense for him. Um, when he is uh, doing those straight line drives, they are off the catch. Um, his dribble game, he's gotten a little bit better, but it's still not elite. You know, it, he's, it's a, a weakness in, in relation to where his game is in terms of his other strengths. Um, and then creating offense for others. You know, I've I mentioned the fact that he can dish the ball down low and such, but, you know, he's not going to be a guy who averages five assists a game. Um, he can make the right passes, and his decision-making is good. Um, it feels like every single time I say his weakness, I'm just like, no, it's actually not that bad. Um, but in general, yeah, I think that you know, creating offense for others, creating his own offense, um, and his general lack of sort of you know, traditional athleticism and how that affects his defense are, for me, the ones that sort of stick out as uh, the glaring weaknesses.
2: Yeah, and I think you don't probably notice his weaknesses as much because he usually plays his role. No, the only the only time that where he's out of role or something if the nets are down or someone's injured and then he might try to create and then he'll get caught in no man's land but other than that he usually knows what he's doing out there and you mentioned defensively just athletically and body type wise he's just going to be at a deficit compared to some of the guys he has to guard but that's okay if the nets have other great defenders out there and he can kind of just play his role and play solid team defense so it's like there's really not a ton of areas that just stick out when you watch Joe Harris. is like, oh, he needs to be better here. For what the Nets ask him to do, he does a really good job. But what are the areas you'd like to see him improve for this season?
3: Yeah, and just on that, Nick, before we move on, it, he always mentions it whenever you see him talk talk with the media or he's asked about his game. He's like, look, the assistant coaches allow me to really hone on the things that I, I need to work on and that I can provide for the team. I don't need to work outside. You know, I don't need to do what Kyrie Irving does. I don't need to do what Karis does. I don't need to do what Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan do. You know, I've got my role within the team and I need to be a superstar and I need to be a lead in that role, which is why, you know, when we talk about weaknesses, we're not gonna talk about blocks and steals and the rest, because he's not asked to do that. But in terms of the improvements and, and how the team can sort of help him, I think that He can get a higher quality of shots now with what we've seen from Toy and Prince. We know what Kyrie Irving can bring. You know, Karras Levet will hopefully take a jump there. We know Spencer Dinwiddie is a three-point shooter. Garrett Temple is pretty good. Like, the spacing for Joe... He's going to be insane. And I think with that, he may be able to kick out a little bit more on the drives and sort of find guys that will hit them because the inconsistency of guys like Alan Crabb and other players, um, throughout the 2018, 19, 17, 18 tenure, you know, haven't been hitting him at a high clip. I think that we're going to take a jump there. And I think Joe can be a big part of that. So having the best three-point shooters and the best three-point shooting lineup, it's going to make his, his life that much easier. Um... There were times last season, you know, where he'd be one of the only three-point threats out there. And, you know, when you're drawing that gravity on the perimeter, it makes it so much harder for you. And then it makes it harder, conversely, for, for the space around you as well. Um, and I think to what you slightly alluded to earlier, Nick, in terms of when we're talking about the, the early parts of the game continuing to, to run plays for him at points during the game. We know where, and, and I've, I've really enjoyed in the, the, the two preseason games so far, DeAndre Jordan's screening and willingness to screen and physicality in screening and wanting to get Joe space because I think that was a really, really important part of what Ed Davis did for him last year, and we spoke about that. And DeAndre looks committed to that too. Um, so continuing to run those plays off screen and off drives. Uh, we know that Joe can cut really, really well De'Angelo Russell is a better passer than a lot of guys, but I think Spencer can still hit him on cuts. I think Kyrie can still hit him on cuts, and especially Kyrie as well is probably the best passer, at least not a creative passer out of those guys. Kyrie, I think, is still a very good passer too. But yeah, I think all those sort of things combined... We can see maybe a jump in efficiency from, from Joe next uh, season or at least make his life a little bit easier and not have the, the attention that he did because there is going to be a lot more attention for him now. He's proven it. Um, it's just about continuing it and sort of solidifying himself uh, in the sort of similar vein of, of guys like J.J. Reddick who do it for five, ten seasons on end and Kyle Corbett who's done it his his near whole crew in, in his late 30s.
2: Yeah, I mean, you pretty much nailed everything there. I think, you know, defensively, you look for a little improvement for whatever he can do with his body. Maybe it's taking a couple more charges here and there, but you don't want to get hurt, obviously. And then, you know, getting more threes, and I think as you become a really good three-point shooter, you mentioned he's going to get more attention. Now you need to probably start working on taking more contested threes, especially when it gets to the postseason. Obviously, you're not going to live or die by that. But at certain points when it gets closer to clutch time, The team might need you to take a hard three here and there, and that's just something, not that you need to do it every game, but just to have in your bag. And like you said, having better three-point shooters, which I think is an underrated aspect of this last offseason for the Nets, and having better players is just going to give Joe less attention on him. And like you mentioned, setting screens, running plays for him, just going to allow him to succeed. And having three really good creators in Kyrie, Karris, and Spencer should only make his life easier.
3: Oh, it's good. I'm I'm salivating to see um, how Joe Harris can, can repeat, hopefully, and, and maybe even take a jump um, and maybe defend his three-point shooting title. But at the end of the day, I just want him to continue his consistency, continue to add value to this team in, in such a really important way because, you know, Kenny loves him. He's so important to, to what we do at our offensive schemes and our defense, too, to an extent.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's just like if Joe was the same player he was last year this season – I think the Nets would be ecstatic because he was a really good role player last year and the role that you need in this current NBA.
3: He led the team in minutes. He had the exact same minutes as DeAngelo Russell. So I don't necessarily see that happening when you have Corey Irving on the team and now with Harris-LeVert, obviously hoping to solidify himself as the third star, as Woj said. Um, you know, I think Joe Harris could still, probably still be top three uh, in minutes play. Um, but, you know, we'll get to, to those predictions um, in seconds.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I'll just toss this in there before we get to the predictions. The way Torian Prince is shooting the three ball right now is going to just make Joe Harris's life that much easier when they're on the floor together. Having two guys that have the potential to shoot over probably 45% from three, I know that's a little hot take for Torian Prince, but the way he's hey. shooting right now is spicy, and I think it's just going to make the Nets' offense ridiculous if they're able to get in sync with the creators they have, and also, Harris is looking better from three, too. But let's get back to Joe. This season, is he going to be a starter or a bench player?
3: He should be a starter and he will be a starter because I think what he's already proven and he might not be out there maybe in certain lineups because you would rather have maybe a couple of ball handlers and and in certain situations, but I think Joe will be a starter.
2: Yeah, I think he'll probably be a starter, but would I be surprised if he came off the bench? No. I think there is a potential of a lineup with Kyrie, Karras, and Torian, Rodions, and Jared Allen or DeAndre. So I think that's out there. But I also could see Kenny relying on what he knows. And that's Joe Harris being arguably probably his most consistent player last season.
3: I think, you know, Jones is the one that you're sort of talking about there that would, you know, he would supplant. And I think Joe has proven himself to be more of a reliable, a reliable performer and at least does something in an elite capacity and provides something that I think the Nets value incredibly. Whereas Rodion's does so many good things. He provides energy, all those sort of different things, but he doesn't hit the three ball at 45% from from the perimeter. So I think Joe automatically provides that. And, um, I think we all expect him to start. Um, and I think that unless there are specific lineup combinations, but I think because he provides one of the premier skills in today's league and for Coach Kenny and, and the Brooklyn Nets offensive system and the way they value that three ball, you know, having Torian Prince and Joe Harris just makes so much more sense than having a guy like Rodion's out there. But... If he starts in that three ball at a 36% clip throughout the season, um, then who knows what could happen.
2: Yeah. And I think the switch would be maybe leaning towards more versatility in defense. Obviously I think Joe's a better player and what he can bring. And also I think it's kind of gauging the lineups you're facing, you know, if they don't necessarily have that many big, lanky players, then, hey, it doesn't really impact you that much. And we've mentioned this before. Karis can kind of slide down to the three, and you're starting Joe more at the two. And that's kind of what you expect. But obviously, defensively, that backcourt, not amazing. But, again, that's for another day. Uh, getting back to the predictions for Joe, minutes and usage before we get the stat line.
3: Uh, minutes
2: 30, usage 15%. Okay, yeah, pretty much the same thing here. 30 and 16, um, obviously, usage could... You know, get a little higher, get a little lower. We'll see what happens. But prediction think, on the yeah, staff I'll go ahead, I
3: think the Yeah, I think the minutes one, Nick, is, is something that, it's it's not fascinating, it's not intriguing, but it's one that, you know, I could be watching because we're going to ride Kyrie and Karis more. At least that's what we hope from, from Coach Kenny or he's going to get some criticism, like you got at ridiculous points throughout last year. You know, you want to ride your two best players until Katie comes back. And where does that leave the minutes allocation? Obviously, there are only so many minutes you can give to, you know, the the 10 players, 11 players, 9 players in the rotation. Does that mean Joe Harris gets less minutes because we're seeing more for Kyrie and Karras? Who knows? Is he going to get lower than the 30s? Uh, as of just a, a mini question that doesn't really affect anything, it's more just a prediction for the sake of predicting, do you think it's more likely he would he get 30 plus or 30 minus, like 29, 28 or 31, 32?
2: I think twenty-nine, twenty-eight is more likely. Okay. I think you mentioned, you know, Kyrie and Karis getting more minutes and then obviously if Karis is hitting his three ball well, then you have the the luxury of playing Kyrie Spencer and Karis a little bit more and that could yeah. be your closing lineup and that would possibly take minutes away from Joe. Then Part of me thinks there is a possibility the Nets playing at a a higher pace this season and Kenny just maybe playing guys more minutes and just kind of using all that depth he has, especially on the wing with guys like Garrett Temple and David Nwaba and Moose has looked good so far too. And, you know, just seeing all these guys out there, maybe he's going to get a mix. But again, Joe's an elite three-point shooter. It's one of the most important things in the NBA right now. I feel pretty good about him being almost at 30.
3: Yeah, I think that's uh, a very safe bet.
2: Now, give me that stat line.
3: The stat line is forty-five <laughs> points, nine rebounds, at twelve and a half points, three and a half rebounds, two and a half assists. Um, I'm being conservative with the three-point percentage, about forty-two percent, forty-nine from the field, and he is a good uh, free throw shooter, so I'm going to go with eighty-two percent as well.
2: Yeah, I went with 13-3-3, three, three, 48% from the field. Like I mentioned, that 50% from the field for a guard is remarkable. Yeah, That's it
3: is. It you
2: is. just don't see, especially because it's not like he's a bench player. He was a guy playing 30 minutes and getting a decent amount of attention. He's one of the better players on the team last season. And I think the three-point percentage is still going to stay high. I don't know if we will hit 47%, but I think he's going to hit 45
3: yeah, his true shooting percentage. I remember throughout the season, I would always try and tweet out whatever Joe Harris said. But like he was in, he was leading it at points. He was with like Stephen Curry. He finished the season in 2017-18, He was very very good too. He had a uh, a, a true shooting percentage of sixty three point four. His true shooting percentage last year, and obviously it reflects of what I was talking about with points per shot attempt, sixty four point five percent. It's ridiculous. And another thing for Joe
2: that I think is really impressive and people are like, Oh, he had a really high three point percentage and he was the best in the league, but he also shot, uh, he also made the 18th most threes. So it wasn't like he didn't take a lot of threes. This is a guy in the top 20 and threes made. So like his efficiency is extremely good for a guy that actually shoots a lot.
3: Yeah. I think that, that strength, I guess we sort of mentioned it in passing, but yeah, his efficiency and, and in terms of his offense that he provides is, is pretty insane. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's what he provides this team is so damn important. Um, and uh, I think that the three-point shooting, I'm, I'm hoping like you know, that that hot take comes to fruition because if Toyin Prince is hitting out a ridiculous way, it's funny because watching the preseason games and highlights and stuff, I'm almost just like just really confident whenever Toyin Prince has the ball in his hands on the perimeter, whereas when that was Alan Crabb, I was just like, oh, okay, well, is he going to make it? And how is this going to affect him? Whereas Toyin Prince looks really confident whenever he has the ball in his hands and almost just like... I want the I want him to get the ball. I want him to shoot. I want him to drive. Um, yeah, we've got to steal that guy, but he's good. And I think the impact he's going to have on Joe, like in terms of how that relates to Joe Harris. I think in terms of teammates and how they're going to affect each other, and that synergy and sort of two-man lineups and, and whatever advanced sets you want to look, in, look into. I think Toy and Prince could have the most profound impact on a guy like Joe Harris. Other than, like, you know, the, the traditional point guards and the and the bigs who are sending him screens, I think just Torian Prince intangibly can provide so much for Joe Harris next season.
2: Yeah, and I think, obviously, Torian, and then also if Harris can improve his three-point shot, because if you're yeah. able to give Joe Harris, and you know, not that he's, like, this elite superstar we're trying to talk about, but, like, if you're able to give Joe Harris a lineup with a lot of spacing, you know, four guys that can shoot threes and one guy who can set good screens... Then all of a sudden he's shooting open threes all over the place, and you're going to have to commit one way or another. And then next thing you know, the Nets lineup is extremely difficult to defend, and maybe you can't defend it.
3: Yeah, and the, and for the most part, you know, the there were some plays that I was watching in in the first preseason game. The Nets value ball movement. They want to find, you know, sort of old school spur system where it's just like, we don't want a good shot. We want the best shot. Sometimes that can be to the own detriment in in terms of the shot clock and and everything. But I think that it's it's only going to benefit us because we now have so many guys that can do a lot of things and so many guys who are really highly capable in the areas that the Brooklyn Nets really value.
2: Yeah, and it's just like every year they're kind of getting a little bit better in the areas they want to be really good at. And obviously this offseason, they took a major jump, but... Getting into just some questions we have about Joe this season, I'll give you one first, Jack. This is kind of more of a fun one. Will he be a back-to-back champ for the three-point competition?
3: Um, no. (laughs) It's tough. It is really tough to do. And it's, I don't know. I think that there will be someone else. I I think that the three-point shooting crown, it's almost random. Like, you're always going to have the best three-point shooter who will win at least once in their career. It's Larry Bird, Steph, whoever it might be. But then there's random guys like Devin Booker that can win it. So, like, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not 100% confident on it, but Joe put his work in, and if he wants to defend that crown, I don't doubt that he can do it again, but uh, you know I think that there might be maybe some jitters in Chicago if he, if he were to head back, and I don't think it necessarily matters in, in the grand scheme of things, but um, I think that the, he is a, a top three, top four contender for me uh, in that sort of realm, depending on who else performs, I guess, as well.
2: Yeah, and I think obviously like a guy who maybe isn't the, one of the best three point shooters could kind of get hot that night and then he's going to win and maybe you have an off night. But you're right. I think Joe really has a chance. But what's your big question for Joe?
3: Yeah, can I've got two. So can Joe maintain his elite shooting from the arc and elevate himself into the conversation, like I sort of talked about earlier, where all-time shooters like Kyle Corver and J.J. Reddick reside?
2: Yeah, I think it's really possible. He's a guy that works extremely hard and working with that player development staff in Brooklyn, I don't think he's going to get worse. So and it's not like the roster took a step back or anything. If anything, it got better and is going to make his life easier offensively. I think he can do it. And that was kind of what I think you're looking at is like, okay, you had a really elite season as a three point shooter. Can you do it again? you do it again okay now we have to start talking about you as one of the best shooters in the NBA and then after that now you're moving up and hey are you one of the best shooters in Nets history you know what I mean so it's just like yeah. every year you do it you're adding to your conversation adding to your legacy and if you do it for you know 10 years then all of a sudden you're one of the all-time great shooters so I'm not saying Joe is one of those guys but this is where it starts
3: yeah it, it has to start somewhere it's It started in 2017-18. He's done it then. He elevated himself in 18-19. Like you sort of said, you get to a certain point as a a sort of three-point marksman and in terms of the skill set that he has. You know, you look at Kyle Corbett, J.J. Reddick. You know, you're never going to shoot 53% from the field. But if you're solidly shooting mid to high 40s or even low 40s consistently, season on season on end for, you know, four or five seasons in a row then you are one of the best three-point shooters of a, of a generation. And, you know, he's, he is in that conversation here. I know we've both sort of tempered it. Like, he's not Kyle Corbett yet, because Kyle Corbett's done it for over a decade. JJ Reddick's done the same. But you have to start somewhere, and he's done one season of, a, you know, above capabilities, and a second season where he was, you know, incredibly elite in that regard. So this third season, and the fourth season, the fifth season, uh, you know, he's going to be incredibly valuable. And then there's obviously the contractual status of Joe Harris as well, like, you know, there's talk of, you know, the Nets getting involved with, you know, Bradley Beal and such. But I think that the Nets really value continuity within the roster and guys like Tony and Prince who will already be talked about for contract extensions. You know, I think Joe's incredibly important to what the Nets do. And sort of Sean Marks likes to reward his guys and really invest in his guys. We saw that with Karras LeVert. We saw that with Spencer Dimwitty. Um, I want to have Joe Harris retire a book on that. But I can also see a lot of other teams throwing a lot of money at him, too.
2: I could see Joe also taking a discount to stay with the Nets for giving him this opportunity similar to what we saw with Spencer and arguably similar to what we saw with Karras. And you mentioned it. Joe is actually one of these guys that helped build this culture, and that makes you think that he's one of the guys that Sean Marks is going to want to keep around. I know there was an NBA article floating around as Joe Harris being one of the best trade assets this upcoming season because he's an expiring contract and can essentially fit into any system in the NBA. But... I think the Nets are going to look to retain him, and I think he's a good role player to have when you have guys like Kyrie, KD, and the potential of all-star carries.
3: Yeah, ex- exactly. And I think that in terms of the skill set he provides, and... Uh, I think most guys, in, in terms of the culture that's been built in Brooklyn mm-hmm. through the likes of, of Sean Marks and the players and the, the player-driven culture that has sort of, you know, been cultivated. You know, I could certainly see, you know, we saw discounts being taken from the likes of Spencer Demby, from the likes of Carol Avert. There is no reason why Joe Harris wouldn't either. He made a lot of people outside of, you know, Brooklyn net circles thought he got paid overs for the two-year $16 million deal. And so maybe he's got like a nice little chunk of change now, but he also provides the... most premium skill in the NBA. Like you look at what JJ Redick signed for um, out in New Orleans, two years, twenty-five million dollars. Does Joe command that? Maybe. Um, but also, you you know, he could be willing to take unders. And like you mentioned, and I think my final question there, I'm sort of touched on it in in, in briefly. What lessons can Joe bring with him from his Team USA experience?
2: I think from Team USA, you know, you can take something, obviously working with an amazing coach like Greg Popovich, and I think Steve Kerr was there as well. Having guys like that have an input on your game who work with some of the best players, obviously teaching you small things here and there. But also just... Competing in another playoff-like atmosphere, and we mentioned his struggles last year in the postseason, the NBA, obviously, FIBA is not the same thing, but it's still a a competition, a tournament in a playoff where it matters in each game, and we saw Joe play at a higher level, and I think you can kind of take that as a positive moving forward into this year's upcoming postseason.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably the main thing for me as well, Nick. You're playing quality basketball against high competition with high competition um, and I think that you just gain confidence from that, and you also develop relationships with guys. So there's a, I a, a guess, a, a walls that are broken down in terms of like intimidation. You know, obviously that we didn't have the likes of the LeBron James is there at, at the most recent Team USA experience, and obviously it was reflected in in the overall success of the team. But I think that just being part of a quality program, um, and and being surrounded by great coaches, Steve Kerr, and Popovich, all these sort of guys, you can. Only get better. You can't learn. You can't. It can't be just like a bad thing. And you know, when he was asked at media day, when Coach Kenny was sort of, you know, he he went to Coach Kenny asking him about. He's like, "Yes, you need to do this. You should not knock this back at all." And um, obviously, it's relating now to sort of we haven't seen him in the preseason so far um, as much as we probably would have liked. I know after the first preseason game at Barclays Center. You know, Coach Kevin was like, yeah, I don't know if I can many many more times I can rest him because he's going to keep hounding me. Um, so it's great to see how much how motivated he is to want to get out there on the basketball court, you know, really integrate himself into um, into the chemistry on court with the guys. And we're already sort of seeing it. I'm already enjoying, you know, what he's sort of bringing in, how he's sort of adjusting to, to these new guys because it's a completely revamped roster. But Joe Harris has a skill set and a personality that is incredibly malleable in, in, in a positive way.
2: And I think just one more thought on Team USA, I think having another bunch of great players that aren't your teammates on an everyday basis kind of infuse you with confidence be like, hey, we want to pass the ball to Joe. We know he's an elite three-point shooter. Just going to make you feel more confident going to the next season that you kind of have more respect from your peers. And obviously, that's something that's very important to the humans. But uh, we do have a couple questions from our fans. We'll roll through them quickly. Um What will his role be this upcoming season considering all the off-season moves? We've kind of touched on this, but you can kind of nail it in real quick.
3: Yeah, I think he's going to maintain the same role, but probably in maybe less than minutes like we sort of touched on. I think he's still going to be an incredibly integral part to the next offense. But he may have, you know, uh, because if we see Carlos a bit healthy for extended periods of time, he may be asked to do less on the defensive end of the floor, and he may be in less lineups. We have a guy like Toyin Prince now as well, who we really want to step up as a defender. And I've also liked him. Like, if we were doing um, his season preview, when we do his season preview, and we talk about his defense, you know, some moments against Anthony Davis, he got, you know, sunned a little bit. But there were some other moments where he was, like, really making things uncomfortable for him. So I'm really excited for him there. And I think that that how that relates to Joe as well, you know, we we'll all we've we've spoke about it at length, but we expect the same sort of thing from, from Joe Harrison. It's expect the same efficiency, the same shots, and maybe just in a lesser role in terms of minutes and, and the de- defensive end of the floor.
2: It just might be a, the same role, but an, almost an easier role because of the talent around him and the different pieces that are more fitting where Joe probably was maybe at times asked to step out of his comfort zone just because the team needed him to be really good. But hitting uh, on the next question, do you think Joe Harris could develop a three-point shot off the dribble? Didn't see much of that last year, but think he'd be deadly be improved on that shot. And that was the truly cheap guy. And uh, sorry, the first question was from UK Clipper, one of our own guys at OTG.
3: Yeah, I've been, I was trying to literally... And the NBA stats website is only finally getting back together now. And I'm finally doing my video breakdowns. Thank the Lord I found out a way of doing it. And, and thanks to Bruce for that, for, for hitting me up in the in, in the Twitter comments for that one. But I, I think that it's, it's not an area that he's going to be asked to do. I think maybe off a couple of dribbles. And if you look at some of the video from training camp and such, he sort of works on it just a, a little bit. He doesn't work on it like off the dribble like a D'Angelo Russell or a, a James Harden or a Stephen Curry because most of his looks are coming on the move, like a JJ Redick, you know, you see those guys, They don't necessarily do it off three or four dribbles. It's one or two dribbles for for rhythm and comfort and possibly create a little bit of space. So that is an area he can certainly improve on. And I wish I knew the stats of, uh, because normally you can go to NBA.com and look at the stats in terms of what are their percentages off the dribble. I remember doing that for Carol Savert when we were doing a preview for him um, in in seasons past. So it's certainly an area that he can improve on if he wants to. It's just what if the coaches are really going to want that out of him and how much of it. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a fine balance. You would rather just get quality looks on the move in, in parts of the perimeter where Joe's really comfortable on rather than sort of, like I was just saying, creating his own shot because it's outside of his comfort zone. And how far are you willing to push him outside of that comfort zone to a point where it's just, it's not beneficial to the team?
2: And we don't need him to do that. That's the thing. You know, the Nets were like hurting for offense. If this was a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves, where there's a question where some of the offense is going to come from, hey, maybe we need Joe to expand his game. But this year, I think, like I said, it's going to be easier for him. And maybe, like you mentioned, taking a dribble or two off the catch to create a touch of more space, but it's still essentially a catch and shoot, I think that's fine. But uh, another question from our guy, Dwayne. Um, This is pretty similar to what we just touched on. The BR article lists Joe as the most valuable expiring contract in the NBA. Marks definitely likes to maximize a- assets, but I also heard to refer to him as Joe as one of the hardest working nets. Do you see any scenario where Marks trades him before Kevin returns?
3: Yeah, obviously there is a scenario, and I think the most likely one is for Bradley Beal. I think there isn't really anyone outside of the NBA, outside of that, that sort of star caliber player. You know, uh, other guys who are probably in that sort of – those high contract deals and the superstars of the talents, you know, a lesser guy's Kevin Love. And I know he's been linked to the nets and in and, the and waves and on NBA Twitter in the past, but I think outside of Bradley Beal, that there, there is no way that you're going to make a move um, for Joe Harris outside of a guy who can make your team significantly better because what he already provides this team, you know, how much value are you are going to get that from a new guy? And, uh, you know, if you're trading, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie and such as well. So, yeah i think that he's on the contract that he is on and you know i remember golden state being really motivated to sort of sign him as well but in their 2017 and 18 off season so he is on a a really nice deal and, and providing one of the the premier skills there would be like you mentioned nick 29 other teams in the nba that would happily have joe harris on their books but for now i think that we like was sort of spoken about the culture the motivations the sort of drive that he has you know he seems just to me like a Brooklyn guy, and like yeah. you, you look, you look at Joe Harris, and you sort of just go, "This guy's just like the Brooklyn hipster." You know, he's walking down, he's he's in the Whole Foods, he's he's catching the subway, he's doing all those sort of things. And I think that I'm not, I can try and I wish I could try and go get into Joe Harris's mind, but in that sort of sense, comfort and like you sort of mentioned, taking a discount, he could be willing to take a couple of million dollar discount just so he can continue to maintain that lifestyle that provides him pleasure and intrinsic benefit
2: and it's not even like it's just one pro it's like you're comfortable this this uh, organization has helped you grow but it's also you're in a winning situation where you can win a championship you know that's two of the biggest and you know needs of an nba player in a lot of situations so the nets have that obviously the contract would be great but some people aren't motivated by that extra 3 or $5 million. But another question uh, from Dwayne, and actually just to touch on your point a little bit more, I agree. I don't think the Nets would trade Joe Harris unless they were bringing another top 25 player. If there was a scenario where they didn't have to trade Karras to LeVert and they were able to acquire Bradley Beal, and that included trading Joe, I think that's something they would pull the trigger on. Now, Harris and Joe in the same trade, I don't know if they're willing to do that. But that's for another day. Like I said, another question from Dwayne. For a guy who's always moving uh, moving without the ball, I feel like he should be a pesky defender like Delvin Dova. but my eyes tell me he isn't. What can he do to improve in that area? Kenny values defense, thus two-way players, and I want to see Joe extended
3: again. Yeah, I, I think in terms of that I think Della Vidova is pesky in the fact that because he doesn't have to really do much. And it, I think it's easier for him to be pesky in his position as a point guard because he has that sort of size. He can sort of get under the the, the skin of the likes of Stephen Curry, which I guess is the number one example when you look at pesky defenders. You know, Patrick Beverly is pesky, but he also provides incredible defensive capability, intelligence and all the other tangibles that you need on that end of the floor. Joe Harris provides more effort than a lot of other players do on that end of the floor with guys who have more than him when it comes to conventional athleticism and wingspan and I would rather have a guy who is effort, who provides effort and is engaged and gets blown by and it's just like look he did his best and like you can't necessarily force a person to do more than what it can is beyond their physical requirements and I think that he's doing everything he can within his physical requirements at least that's the, the, the impression that I get. And I think that he just simply can't because athletically and and physically, he can't guard LeBron James. He can't stop Paul George. You know, he just doesn't have those capabilities within his skill set, within his frame. Um, He does enough and he can maybe be a little bit better in terms of consistency and and whatever. But I think that the balance of this roster now won't uh, necessarily force him to do so. And I think, yes, he is an average defender, maybe slightly above average or slightly below average, depending on the night and depending on the matchup. But I think he does enough there. And I think that, you know, I think we've spoken about defense in in terms of more holistically in terms of the NBA as a whole, but he provides enough effort to sort of um, disregard some of the, the limitations that he does have.
2: And I think you can only ask so much of a player. The amount of movement he has offensively to ask him to be extremely annoying and pesky on the other end would be a lot to ask of him on a nightly basis, especially because, like we said, the movement he brings to the offense just adds so much pop to the other guys. And I also think being a guy like Del Dova is just almost something you're born with. It's just like you're just an annoying defender, you know. Growing up playing basketball your whole life, there's always that one kid that's, you know, picking everybody up full court the entire game. I think you're kind of born with that. And I don't think, like you mentioned, Jack, Joe is not a guy that's not providing effort defensively. It's just you can't ask him to be annoying <laughs> defensively. And also you take the risk of him getting in foul trouble and he provides too much value for you offensively for you to worry about that.
3: Exactly, exactly.
2: So, but that wraps it up on Joe Harris. And I'm sure this is one of favorite, one of Jack's favorite episodes, always. but as always, uh, thank everybody for listening checking out the show. You can find us on iTunes, BlogTalkRadio, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, dash radio, and
1: YouTube. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance.